Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I am Caleb. And I'm Tim. Tim, it's it's two two wins in two weeks. And I, I feel I feel I feel hopeful? Question mark? <laughs> I think talk a- more about that, but <laughs> I, I I, I'm f- I'm feeling better doing the podcast. I will say that much. It is so much nicer to do this podcast when it's after a win <laughs> as opposed to a demoralizing loss. I actually am excited to do it. I actually do my homework more. I rewatch <laughs> the games more than once. I, it's this. I don't know. It, it it feels better. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it, c- comparing to the five five nil win uh, five nil losses, I should say it's. Uh, it, that's painful. It's it's like not something you want to relive. It's not something you want to dissect too much because, like, when you get that bad, it, it, you just throw everything out. Like, not nothing was good. So <laughs> at least it, it, we're we're keeping it a little little more interesting. And I, I I'm hope, hopeful we don't have any more of those uh, blowouts in our future. Yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, keep that's why keep the wood desks around. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it because we've got another win to talk about. So I I will straight up say my drink of the week is a, a ditto of last week. Oh, I'm nice. Sticking to the whiskey because it was just so good. It's nice yeah. to have a little sip, sip and whiskey during the, the podcast. We should arrange it so we should do a whiskey day where I uh, I have a whiskey and you have a whiskey and we talk yeah. about whiskey instead of beer. That's it. Yeah. We'll put a note on that. Put a pin on that. Cause I need, I need to get to, I need to get more varieties of whiskey around here. That's for sure. Yeah. It was my new year's resolution. Gosh, like, uh, probably about 10 years ago now to learn how to drink whiskey. Cause I wasn't a whiskey fan for a long time mm. and I just would spend, I had set aside a hundred dollars of my paycheck every month to go buy a, a new bottle of whiskey and just try it out. And so I went kind of through all the styles and everything and just kind of tried to teach myself about whiskey and it was probably one of the best new year's resolutions I ever made. You needed like one of those uh, bottle, like mail. I can't talk already. <laughs> <laughs> you you need one of those mail subscriptions that just sends you bottles of, of whiskey you randomly know, in the mail. I got a, for Christmas, my partner definitely bought me a, a mini version of that where for like three months, I got little, little drams of whiskey from around the world, which was amazing. But I could there definitely do like a bottle, a bottle a month actually seems a little excessive. I don't think I could go through a bottle. Well, of whiskey. You'd have a stock, so then you could you'd have things that you could share with other people. You don't yeah. have to drink a bottle a month. I just, you know, the amount of people I have over at this point wouldn't justify it either. <laughs> but when you did, you'd have such a sweet collection that you it would be you could have a huge whiskey display in your house. Yeah, like have a whiskey cellar. There you go. Now you're talking. I, I admire the people who keep a, a well-stocked liquor cabinet, you know, like have have one of everything just in case. Yeah. I mean, I used to keep a, a stocked uh, beer cellar where I just keep uh, several beers in for uh, sharing with people, especially like barley wines or things like that. But uh, over the pandemic, somehow those beers disappeared. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Bizarre. Happened. So now I only have two left in there. I have a... Uh, uh, I live in your basement, which we may, I might crack for the show at some point, which is done by menace. It's a barley wine. And then I have a, uh, what is it? It is a Deschutes, uh, limited release, uh, Imperial stout that I've been aging for a minute. 
Nice. Yeah, I still I still have an aged beer that I haven't touched. I'm keeping it for a rainy day or whenever I feel like maybe I wait for the next big loss and and when I really want to drink during the show. <laughs> I was just going to suggest the opposite. Is the next time uh, we win a big trophy, we should uh, do break into our uh, our beer cellars and get a celebratory beers. Okay. I can I can I need to make note save save it for a celebration. A, yeah, an I'll Arsenal celebration. I'll save that to shoots uh, Black Butte uh, for when uh, we win another trophy. There we go. Well, let's uh, move on now to Tim's bit this week, which, you know, You're seems not even a little ask different. Me what I'm drinking? Oh, I've, we were talking about <laughs> drinks for so long, I didn't even think it. We, we hadn't even talked about your drink. Gosh, I'm just ready to move I on. Know. I know. I hope people aren't bored by it, but uh, I'm drinking uh, Menace's, uh, it is a Brannigan's Law is the name of the beer. It is a Zappa IPA, single hop Zappa hop, which I only spend a little bit because we talked way too much about drinks already, but it is a hop they found in 2015 in New Mexico, growing wild. Oh, it's just a roadside weed that they decided to throw into a beer. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much all hops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. Definitely check it out. Uh, and uh, if you see a Zappa hop anywhere, definitely take a taste of it because it tastes like no other hop you'll ever have. It's kind of interesting. It has both a piney and a fruity flavor to it. And it's 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 really fascinating. I was thinking about growing hops sometime, even though I have no real interest in brewing my own beer. I just think it would be fun to grow hops. Yeah. I mean, I think unfortunately in Western Washington, it's a little bit harder. I have a buddy that tried to do it and it was not ideal. You can do it. It's not to say you can't do it, but it's, it's definitely better with a little bit drier climate, which is why Mm -hmm. they're all grown in Yakima. Yeah. I I see them growing here. I see people attempting. They don't really get the um, buds. The vines will grow, but the buds don't really develop as well. But you can get some cool climbing vines from them, at least. Yeah. Make a nice hop trellis. (laughs) Yeah, I I encourage it. (laughs) Um, All right. Now we've talked about both drinks, and I'm not losing my mind. We can uh, continue on to Tim's bit for this week. Well, I'm going to say I stole my uh, Tim bit from uh, Joe Robinson, because he asked a really great one, and I'm all about people contributing to this part of the conversation. So he asked, Arteta last week admitted that he's been watching Ted Lasso. One of the coach, one of the things that coach Lasso really focuses on in the dress is dressing room harmony. And it feels like Arteta might've cracked that now too. With that in mind, what film slash TV show should Arteta watch next? This is, this is one I'm going to say just because I happened to watch this recently and I, I'm ashamed to say it took me so long. Um, I actually watched uh, Fever Pitch, the the real Fever Pitch, the English the other day. Yeah, it's yeah, so good. It popped up on Amazon, and I was like, "Well, I it it's just presenting itself to me. I need to take advantage and pull the trigger." And you know, it's it's definitely not a movie I would recommend to anybody who's not an Arsenal fan. <laughs> I, I think it's a good movie, but I feel like it's it, it is made for specifically for Arsenal fans, and, and I guess like anybody who's an avid sports fan would would get something from it. But 
I didn't think it was like the best movie I'd ever seen, but I did connect to a lot of it because of the the Arsenal connection there. Well, I mean, you mentioned that it's it's interesting because I think it gives people a feel for pre Wenger Arsenal because and a reminder that Arsenal wasn't always the best team in the world to follow, and uh-huh. there was a lot of strife and trials. And as as we are going through that again right now, I think it's a a good reminder. But yeah, yeah. I related to a lot of it and it like it, it did feel very uh pertinent to where we're at right now and and kind of being the butt of the joke and yeah. <laughs> not necessarily on top of the world. Uh, and and kind of the, the the other thing I picked up on was kind of the uh um it, towards the end when there is it, it culminates in the 1889 win over Liverpool um uh, for the league and that uh just the the main the main character just from the get go just telling himself they weren't going to win mm-hmm. and you know <laughs> through the whole game really being down down on the team down on himself and I do feel like that that vibe has permeated the the fan base sometimes and it's like people are ready to just just want to be down like it is something they identify with as Arsenal fans and cling to. And and when something good happens, it's great. But like the default mode is that. It's it's funny you mentioned that because I remember going uh, to uh, the when we were in the Champions League final against Barcelona, and I spent the entire week telling myself we weren't going to win, we weren't going to win, and going through watching the game, my my whole thing is we weren't going to win, we weren't going to win, and then when we scored that first goal in that Champions League final, mm-hmm. I suddenly got hope. Only to have it completely <laughs> dashed and torn away by Henrik Larsson, who's one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, twisting the knife. Yeah. So I, I I get that feeling of anytime we're in a position of greatness, I always have this little bit of, uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So bringing it back around to Arteta, I feel like if he hasn't seen that movie, and I, I think he does understand Arsenal very well, but I feel like that is a key piece to understanding the fans a bit more. Uh, that author, Nick Hornsby, who wrote the book, which is also an amazing book if you haven't read the book. I, I've started it like so many times and then I get pulled to other stuff. But I have It sits on my shelf just taunting me. But he wrote another book called uh, High Fidelity, which also turned into a movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a great quote from that. that uh, I think it's in both the boot movie and the book, which is, uh, you know, which came first, the uh, the music or the misery? And I always feel that way with Arsenal, which came first, the Arsenal or the misery. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does feel, feel like it's intertwined, but that, yeah, there were, there were moments during the Vanger era where people got to feel what the other side felt like. And I think that's, yeah. um, it's this weird dichotomy between feeling like we are this awful thing. And then also feeling like we're, we deserve better, you know? So moving on to the the game of last week, we played Burnley and I got to say on the surface, this one was on the boring side overall to me. (laughs) It was not the most exciting game that we played, but uh, the results were right. And there was a few, there was a few things that happened that were, were interesting at least. Um, And, and everything seemed to go in Arsenal's direction. There wasn't, I wasn't super, concerned with the scoreline or the lack of uh major events because it 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 kind of felt like they were 
well, it was it was the old one nil to the Arsenal, right? <laughs> it was it was wi- winning with with a a good defense. I think that was that was the the emphasis I felt in this game was that the the defense really was the the shining piece of the team. Yeah, and you know, at this point in Arsenal's trajectory, I'm just okay with three points, no matter how we get them. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's ugly, boring, uh, scrappy, whatever. Three points is three points, and we need these three points. And so, I'm okay with that. Having a couple boring games, especially after you know getting drubbed by Man City, it's it's nice to at least start getting into rhythm of getting points on the board. And getting the points away from home, which is always a uh, added bonus. But yeah, I think the the shining points is is the defense, and I think you have to start with uh, Ramsdale starting again, and from most reports, getting man of the match. Yeah, I th- he he definitely earned it in my mind. I think um, rather than being the the shaky piece of the defense, he looked really like the the strength, and um, that is. I think that's a change. I mean, I we've we've seen some some good and some bad from Leno over the time that we've done this podcast, and I think for the most part we felt like he when when it was deciding time between him and um, Emmy Martinez, I felt okay with Leno. I felt okay that he was going to be the right choice and that he was the stronger of the two, or at least on you know. On paper, he was the stronger of the two. Um, some people would certainly disagree with me, especially with how Martinez has played after he left. But um, I don't know if we've seen Leno's best since that point. He's been good. He's been a good shot stopper. But um, when it comes to confidence and stability, I don't really associate those with Leno necessarily. And if you're talking about playing out from the back, that has been shaky from for for a very long time, and under Ramsdale, that that has not been a concern of mine. And in fact, I think he he his distribution Im- improves on what Leno could possibly do, and and I think his shot stopping so far has been admirable as well. I mean, he didn't have a lot to do in this game, but what he did have to do, he looked very comfortable. Yeah, and I mean, and speaking of one of the things he had to do was the uh, the call for the uh, <laughs> the penalty that mm-hmm. was originally called in an overturn of VAR. I when I saw it real time, I was like, "There's no way that's a penalty," and it was just a very confident goalkeeper doing confident goalkeeper things, and I think it was borne out in the uh, the VAR. And I think that's what Ramsdale really is bringing to us right now. Is this? It's not to say that Leno wasn't confident, but I, I just I have this like there's just a step up with Ramsdale at this point of where he really has just hit the ground running and really feels like he belongs at the upper ends of the Premier League. You know? Yeah, I think he <clears throat> excuse me. I think he is making the case for being the number one. I mean, I think that's what he came in to do. And he came in and said exactly that. I'm going to push Leno for that number one spot. And at this point, Leno has to come in and, and make the case that he is the number one and should get back to that position. Uh, so I, I think Ramsdale has certainly lived up to that um, 
declaration that he made that he's going to push push for that that position and i think he will continue to sh- as he continues to show all the good things he can do uh it, it will stretch leno to do more you know i i don't know if leno can be that guy but maybe he can be a stronger uh presence in the box maybe he can be um a little bit more communicative with, with the rest of the team. Like there's things that, that Ramsdale does that are not necessarily um, things that are hard to learn. It's like, you know, communicate more. That's, that's something that Ramsdale has brought to this and, and works and brings that back line together. Suddenly when you put Leno in and that isn't happening, it's going to be fairly obvious. It's going <laughs> to, the cohesiveness goes away when you don't have good communication. I saw, you know, one of the, um, great things that Ramsdale was doing in this game was really um, like I saw party come back and, and, and pick up a pass and Ramsdale was because his back was, or since he was running away from the uh, opposing players, he doesn't know exactly where to play. And Ramsdale's directing him, you know, like when I pass it to you, kick it left, you know, there's going to be guys coming up on your right side and, that that sort of thing is not something that's been happening a lot with Leno. So I, I feel like that's those little little things that Leno could add to his game if he was wanting to maintain that number one spot. But if he's got his eyes on the next team or, you know, his, he's thinking about this is my last year, maybe he doesn't do those sorts of things. And then it's, it seems like the, the decision makes itself at that point because you can tell the team is better with these little enhancements that Ramsdale brings. It's just, it, it is so funny to me because I think of the list of priorities I had coming in to the transfer window, I goalkeeper was so low on my list. And if we were going for a goalkeeper, it was a uh, backup keeper to Leno. Mm-hmm. I was just, you know, like I, I felt Leno was fine. I'm seeing so much of a difference with uh, Ramsdale playing. I know it, it, it is just what three games that he started mm-hmm. at this point, and it, I, I, I'm loath to make a mountain out of a molehill. And it's there's still a lot of games left to play, but just seeing a very, just a, that is a demonstrable improvement. It feels like so far in that position, and it, and it helps just solidify the back. I think our backs feel much more secure, and even our midfield, the the rest of the team feels much more secure with a Ramsdale in the back. It seems like, yeah. I, I thought it's just a it's somebody who can command the box on crosses and set up the team well. And I, I, I do think his, his personality just really shines like just how he was very protective of uh, tyranny. When he went down late in the game, um, he was kind of pushing off the opposing team to give tyranny space and um, his reaction after the game, you know, going around and giving hugs to the, the all the players that were helped, you know, the back line and more, you know, he was, uh, he's, he's shown that he can be a, a really great, uh, individual off the field and some of the interactions he's had with fans already. I think he's just the type of player that this team should be building around. And, you know, when we talk about captains all over the field and people who are natural leaders, yeah, he he seems to have more of that type of personality than than Leno does. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think I've mentioned it before, but I always love a goalkeeper captain, even though he's not Mm -hmm. the captain. I do. I think a captain should be someone who sees the whole pitch and is able to, to get a kind of broader view of the game, which I think on the field, either the center midfielder or the goalkeeper has the best vision of the whole field. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I, you know, moving on a little bit from Ramsdale, I'm also loving the combination between Ben White and Gabriel. Hmm. Yeah, I was. I was. I've been really glad to have Gabrielle back, and I think he does both. Ha- you know, having uh, Tomiyasu and Gabrielle on either side of White, I think has helped him acclimate a bit better too. So I think like White ha- White has benefited from having some stability and talent around him, um, as opposed to you know, how we started this season, it seems like this could be a, a good settled back four, which I think will help him improve and, and feel more confident, which I wasn't picking up on necessarily in the previous game. Like his, and even in this game, I think he's, he's still got, so, you know, that back pass may have been a, a field issue. It could have been a confidence issue, but you know, there's still some, some things he needs to work out in his game. Um, luckily, like you said, Ramsdale was a professional and, and was able to, take care of that, that situation. Um, but yeah, I, I, with Gabrielle, his, his, he's really established himself. And I feel like that's, uh, um, he's actually improved on his form from last season, which I thought he, he came in and did really well. So I, I'm, I'm feeling like he's, he's going to step up his game as the season goes on. And you, and you also mentioned, uh, Tommy also, who's it, you know, we mentioned it last game, which was his first game is he's quickly becoming, you know, one of my favorite players in the team. And he's like, he already feels like furniture at this point. He already feels <laughs> like he's part of the team. And, uh, you know, just, I mean, very similar to tyranny last year, where it was very quick to, to integrate. And, I feel like it's a good sign because, you know, a lot of people talk about the spine being the the most important part of the team where you have, you know, your central defender, central midfielder, and your strikers all being on one page. And that's Mm -hmm. a a sign of a good, uh, good team. But I'm kind of looking at the bands right now and our defensive band, the white and then our four defenders is it just feels solid right now i mean granted the two games they played against aren't necessarily the most dangerous of teams to play against and Mm -hmm. it's not a you know truly testing in a lot of ways but i'm i'm feeling good that that part of the field is feeling established and good and getting a a good communication with each other yeah i want to come back to that thought in a bit here but as far as sam um the way they've looked in the last couple games, I'm feeling more and more confident. I hope that they do as well. Um, but yeah, I think having a, a settled back line really helps. We, you know, I don't, I'd love to have the stat in front of me that showed how many different lineups we had last season in that back four. Um, but I think overall having a, a, a more consistent starting 11 will, will benefit this team because when you're talking about the, automatisms or that that Arteta has preached about it it really helps to have consistent people playing together and working together and so that they can kind of look to spaces and know that somebody's going to be there without having to think about it too hard um that anticipation and and not deep knowledge of the players around you really will help the team chemistry and the team really look like they 
um, are all on the same page. And I think some of that stuff is coming together. Like if I were to look at where the team is at right now, I'm starting to feel like that back, back four, back five with the goalkeeper, that's starting to feel like that could, um, that's something they can really build on. And then hopefully some of that starts to, starts to translate going forward because I think that the missing piece now is really figuring out how to translate the stability in the back and the, the good passing that they can potentially get from the back. How do we push that into actual offensive actions? I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's something I was thinking about, which is that this isn't the first time Arteta has sorted things out in the back. There was a, a run of games in his... Uh, in the the first half year, he was a, a manager where he kind of figured out how to stop the flood of goals that were coming in. Mm-hmm. And the difference, though, for me is that it then it felt like just a very cobbling together of like I don't know last ditch defense. And like I, yeah. And with this this part of the the team that we have now, it doesn't feel like a cobbling together at all. It feels like this is the vision that he has. And this is a, a vision of a team going forward in the back, if that makes sense, uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, that it's much more intentional and it's much more thought out than just getting, you know, the defense figured out with whatever piece you have. Right. Yeah, I feel yeah, I do I do like the idea of the intention and it feels like getting Tomiyasu and getting White were steps and even Ramsdale were steps closer to what Arteta envisioned this team being and and their skill sets are specified. Like it does feel like they're um, you know, White is a good passer. We know Tomiyasu is going to stay home and be solid in multiple positions depending on where the, where he needs to be playing and uh, we know Ramsdale's got better um, presence in the box. He's got better passing. So we, we see these things that we didn't have before and we're starting to like, the pieces are starting to fit together. I think that's the the next phase really is we've got these pieces now. Are, it, it's a matter of making them kind of click. And that's that uh, chemistry piece takes time. But at least Arte- it feels like Arteta's uh, got the right parts for the time being at least. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's, 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 it's going to be interesting to see how we integrate that then into moving, going forward. And I, I think the next piece that we're hoping is the, the midfield connecting with the defense. Yeah. I, I, I think like getting consistent run from party is like a big part of that. I think he's, um, he's still getting back up to full fitness. So that's, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, we still haven't seen the best of him because he can't seem to get a, a good run of games, but th- there are glimmers of, of things that he can bring. And I, I think that as that, um, as he is able to solidify his partnership with whoever it may be in the midfield, I think there, like there is a, still a, that that partnership is not settled yet. So whoever is playing next to him really needs to um, step up. Whoever it is, I mean, like we had, uh, I think on paper Odegaard was was his partner in this last game, and um, I think that's a position he can play in, and that helps you get more talent on the field. So great, that was a very like offensive, forward looking lineup, and. 
I, I don't think that's something we would throw up against Tottenham, for example. I mean, I, I think it's interesting, I, you know, getting to the game in the midfield. I think we've seen it again this game and it was very noticeable last game that we're starting to play through the middle right now. Mm-hmm. I think you could see it throughout the game. And, you know, like even in the fifth minute, there was a, a great, I, I wrote it down when I was watching it. Cause I thought it was just a great run of play where Odegaard, they was played through the middle. Then Odegaard makes a great pass to tyranny who crosses it in. And the Arsenal almost scores on that. And I just, I think Odegaard can, and I think it might not be a horrible place to put him in because I think Odegaard has this distribution that can be a metronome in that that part mm-hmm. of the field. And, you know, with Party doing very similar things, I think you can control the midfield and we're going to get into Spurs a little bit later. I don't, I wouldn't hate to see that, that partnership uh, used against uh, Spurs as well. I think I'd never thought of it before. I always thought that Odegaard should be playing in the, where Emil Smith Rowe played this game. Mm. But watching it actually play last game, I don't think it was dysfunctional by any any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I. And yet, our only goal came from a, a, a free kick from Odegaard. You know, I. It, I would say, like, on paper, yeah, getting as many of your best players out on the field as possible is is ideal. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if Arteta's cracked the code yet, I, and I think maybe Odegaard should get more time in that position to see what we can get out of it. But I, I didn't see a whole lot of like, oh my gosh, those that that really clicks and that could work given more time. I, th- I, I, it's funny. I actually did. I think that, uh, despite the fact that we only did score one goal, I think there are plenty of, of chances that were created through the midfield. I think Odegaard's passing was on point on, uh, especially in the first half of that game. I think there were plenty of, of, of positives to look at from that. And yeah, we only scored one goal and that's a, that's a whole nother, Another question and debate, and I believe we have a, a, a question from one of our, our listeners about that. Uh, mm. But uh, I think there's a lot of positives to be taken back. And I think really the the lack of goals isn't because of anything that Odegaard was or wasn't doing in the midfield. I think we have to start looking at some of our players that should be scoring these goals. And, you know, we're looking at moving up a band up to the, uh, the, the top band, which you're looking at. Obama, Yang, Pepe, and Saka, and I, I'm mm-hmm. definitely including Saka in this. That like we need some more actual production from them because I, from my watching of the games or the game a couple of times, it really did feel like there's a lot of things going on, and then when you got to that final kind of cutting bit of action, it just kind of fizzled. Yeah, I, I still feel like the with the amount of talent that we have on the field there, they're still missing that interplay where they're getting more out of each other and connecting with each other in, in a dangerous way. It's it, There's a lot of times where I'm, I'm seeing guys kind of passing behind players or into spaces where players might be rather than finding actual dangerous connections 
in the final third, which is frustrating because it seems like there's a lot of wasted opportunities when they do get down that far. Um, a couple times it's like Saka's touch is a little off. He still seems like he hasn't quite gotten back to his best game um, this season yet. Uh, Aubameyang is involved, but maybe not in his best form. And many times, like we know that Pepe can be feast or famine. Like he can go long spurts in a game and make all the wrong decisions. And then all of a sudden he's going in on goal and you just never know what you're going to get from him. So the consistency is not, not there yet. The, um, the chemistry piece, like I said, in the back part of the field, it's, it's all about getting that chemistry across the field. It's not, uh, quite there yet. So uh, at, at least for the most part, these players have, played with each other before we don't have a lot of newness there like we do with a couple players in the back back line but um i'm still just waiting for the those uh those interplays and the those nice nice passes into like dangerous positions and i i've, I've seen some of that from Odegaard. i've seen some interplay from from Rowe and um abameyang's had some interesting uh passes but it just hasn't come off. It's it's that final product that seems to be missing. And when you talk about that final product, it, are you concerned a little bit that like Martinelli, Balogun aren't getting as many minutes up top as you would think? I mean, really, we have five subsidies to use and we only use three of this game. And it, it does feel like we haven't been using as many subs as we could. And... I know I'm I'm not saying we should discount <laughs> Obama Yang by any means, but like, you know, by the 75th, 80th minute, do you think it's time that we should be starting to throw in someone like uh, Marinelli or Balogun to see if that changes the way we play? I think in particular in this game, it was it it, it did feel like in that second half that the team was mostly focused on playing defensively and um I think the the subs that were made were to try and lock things down a little bit more and, um, you know, or, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily to try to go out and get another goal. It was more to make sure that there was control of the game. And so I wouldn't necessarily put Balogun or Martinelli in if I was trying to just see the game out. And I felt like if you're early enough in the season where you don't have to save Aubameyang's legs. Like we're talking about um, the next game being against uh, an opponent like AFC Wimbledon. I don't think that um, Arteta was necessarily concerned about saving Aubameyang for that. So, you know, it's um, you're probably going to play Martinelli or Lacazette or Balogun in that game tomorrow. So I would, I would guess that he is more thinking about, those those sorts of minutes for them at, at the moment, and I hope that they make a case for for getting for taking away minutes from Aubameyang because I it's not necessarily like Aubameyang's lighting it up. I, you know, he's not necessarily uh, written in pen in my mind as far as the start the the starter. He I, I think he is our best striker on his, his best day, but I think that there's a case to be made for more minutes for the younger players. So they need, they should take their opportunities if they're going to come in the Carabao cup and, and hopefully make the case for, 
for more minutes in the first team. Yeah, it, it was just like, it was something I was thinking about as I was looking at the team and thinking about it. And we're on this kind of youth mission-ish, you know, like that we, we're, we're trying to make the team younger. And that's mm-hmm. obvious from uh, what we did with the uh, the transfer window. And if you look at it, you look at the back line, you're like, okay, cool. The back line is young and getting integrated. Midfield kind of the same way. I think where the question mark is, if you're looking at the team three years from now, and you're looking, all right, I can see all a lot of these players that are playing in the defensive and the midfield sections still playing for Arsenal. The striker positions, you're not seeing the same number or any players really like uh, taking minutes and saying that like that's part of our future plan. And that's that that that's a little worrying for me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Balogun did well the other day in the U23 match. Um so he he is making a case to continue to be part of the first team picture, but I don't know that he has um, shown his best when he's had minutes in the Premier League. Um, so I, I I do think it is a, a area of concern for the team going forward, is like beyond this season. Uh, you know, we we know Lacazette's probably going to be gone. There's been no contract uh, renewal talks. Or, anything of that sort. So I think he was certainly gone um, next year. We know Aubameyang's on the backside of his best. And there isn't um, an heir apparent right at the moment. And I do, I do think that the, the drop-off from our aging players to our youngest players leaves a huge gap and I think that will be an area that Arsenal will look to to fill in the next transfer window or beyond because I think we've um, got to seriously think about how, how to address that and, and find somebody that really clicks with what Arteta wants to do. That is one area I do think like he hasn't gotten his best player yet or the, the type of player that he ideally wants. Uh, I don't know what that is, but it, it kind of feels like he's um, maybe just trying to make things work for the time being until that can um, until that can be addressed better. I mean, it, it, the market being what it is and what's available, it may be that they didn't feel like the right fit was out there. So I'm I'm fine with that. They addressed a lot of other things, but it, it's something you can't put off too much longer. Yeah. Um, did you have any other, uh, notes or, or things from this, uh, this game? No, I think, I think it was, I, I, I guess the, the main, main thing we really didn't talk about too much was Odegaard's goal, which yeah. I thought was, came, came as a surprise to me. I mean, I, I, I figured he had that, that skill set. It just, what hasn't really come up much where he was on top of the ball in that situation. So I, I wasn't really expecting that in some way. I, I don't know. I just, it surprised me. I, it did surprise me. And I think, uh, you know, Joe Robinson, uh, mentioned in a comment, uh, just about, uh, how, uh, they didn't really jump for the ball <laughs> all that much. Uh-huh. The, uh, the, the opposition players. And I think there's that, but I think it was a well-struck ball to, really to begin with. And, uh, uh, it's nice to know that he has that in his locker. It adds, you know, one more dimension. But it, I mean, it shouldn't surprise us just because he is good at delivering the ball. So obviously he has, you know, the ability to place the ball where he wants it. 
yeah, I guess it wasn't it wasn't too surprising that was in in his skill set. We just really hadn't seen it. So I I would love to have a player that can be dangerous in that those position positions again to make. I, I really think that's one way you keep teams honest. I mean, I, like a lot of teams are going to foul in that area to no matter what. But when you have a guy that can make you pay for it, then you might think twice about making that tackle in that area. Yeah, because I mean, who has been taking it? You know, last well, we week, had w- William a lot was was yeah. on the ball when he was playing, and it was Jaka and Louise, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those were, our, and you know, none of them. We've had Pe- Pepe take some shots too. Yeah, and he's all right. Yeah. Pepe, Pepe at least scores has scored some from there. Oh yeah, there's that goal against uh, in the Europa League, wasn't there? Hmm. Uh, uh, who was that? A German team, uh, Cologne, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Was it against Cologne? Gosh, German team, maybe. Anyways, it's all it, Europa League's all a blur now. <laughs> it seems like such a distant past. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it, it was it was a lot of people I wasn't too confident in. That's for sure. Yeah, and it, it does feel it's nice to have you know multiple threats, and you had like a, you know the setup to that where you had three players looking like they could take it, which also does add a little confusion. I mean, mm. I, the commentary was pretty funny on it when they said it looked like a a. a, a a team picture uh, <laughs> for Burnley because there's all their players against the, along the line there in the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was pleased pleased to get whatever goal we could get. I wish we could get get a little bit more from the run of play, but like you said, three points is three points. So anyway, we can do it. You know, like just at the end of the day, I I'm I'm happy to be back in the winning ways, and as long as we're getting points on the board we can sort out other things along the way. And I think Mm -hmm. this season is going to be definitely a lot more sorting out things along the way than it is being dominant over, you know, these teams. Right. And if we can get the points where we can, it starts to minimize those, you know, the city game hurt, but we probably weren't going to get those three points, whether it was a one nil loss or a six, (laughs) six, one loss. Like uh, Mm -hmm. those points were probably not going to be there, but if we can, make sure we get these points against these teams that we should be beating, whether it's one nil or six nil, like it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, you know, like goal differential might matter to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, the points are the most important part of it. Yeah. I hope that doesn't come back to bite us, but I think it served, it served as a good, like rock bottom for the season. You know, I think we've definitely, um, last season there was the, the, there was a clear turning point and hopefully we've gotten to that turning point earlier this season and found a way to pick ourselves up and, and use that as like motivation to, to make the changes and, and not, not let that sort of thing happen again. And it's, uh, I'm going to make this a transition, which is I was looking at mm-hmm. the table when we started, when I started thinking about playing Spurs next week or this week. And I noticed that there, like, even though there are several spots ahead of us, both their points and their goals scored are not that far away from us. They've only scored one more goal this season than we have. And yeah. when you when you think about that, and they are only three points ahead of us, there's a. It made me remember that there's a long point ahead of us, and I think the the media drives this, especially the British media in recent years have dri- driven this whole thing of like Spurs is this amazing team that's on the rise, and Arsenal's this a team on the fall which I don't think has really borne out in actual results. 
there was one season where Spurs was fighting for the title. And that season was a season that Leicester ended up winning. And people forget that Arsenal actually finished ahead of Spurs that season. And then mm-hmm. there was one champion league run that Spurs went on. But other than that, it's not like they've lit the league on fire. So they've been a, sh- a shell of their former selves under Pochettino. I think yeah. that they've not found their legs under Mourinho or, um, I, you know, Nuno has not been filling me with dread. You know, I feel like that I'm, I'm kind of glad that they, uh, picked him up. And if he makes it past this season, maybe they improve, but I, I, I see him being kind of middling this year. Maybe I, I, that I'll eat those words, but right now I, they, they look vulnerable to me and not somebody I'm super, not a team I'm super afraid of. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I mean, I know we may be eating these words next week Ugh. and I, it makes me, but and I know I have my biases because I'm an Arsenal supporter and have been <laughs> for my basically my entire adult life and much of my adolescence. Uh, I I just don't see Spurs as a, a, m- this big team. They're, they are an a- a average team. It just so happens that in recent years, Arsenal has been below average as a team. Mm-hmm. And coming into this, this game, I was after the first... To, or after the first three games, I was a little apprehensive, but I'm not as afraid of the Spurs team as I was at the beginning of the season. And having watched this, I watched the Spurs Palace game because it was fun to watch. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I've watched the other games, and they're not firing on all cylinders. I think. I think Kane's head has been turned, and it's it's amazing to watch a player. They should Spurs should have sold them in my so sold them in my opinion. I think he's not mm. playing up his to his potential. He might get up for the 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 Derby game because it is a Derby game, but like, and the rest of the team, I, I'm you know like if I were Nuno, Nuno I'd be very worried about my position because I don't think the players are really reacting to him. Yeah, and and. You know, they they are catchable right now. That's the crazy thing to me is that this game will be a um it, it could put us on on le- on the level with them. You know, they're sitting in with nine points in seventh place right now. Arsenal in thirteen with in thirteenth place with six points. Uh, a win over Tottenham would be huge. But we've also seen it go the other way where Arsenal has made somewhat crappy teams look pretty amazing. So um, it, it's it's a toss up. I I do think they're more equal than the the standings show at the moment. Yeah, and I I think what these last two games has at least given us confidence to come in. You know, at least run in with a tilt. Am I guaranteeing a win? No, I think it's going to be a very tough, difficult game in which I'm going to be probably crying through half of the game and <laughs> just like. I, nervous and pacing and upset but i think it is definitely much more of a winnable game than either the chelsea or man city games for sure yeah and i i think the um the carabao cup game could actually also be another boost for this team i mean i'm not super concerned about wimbledon uh and we have to remember the the last round we had a six zero drubbing of of West Brom so you know I I think those sorts of wins even if it's with your B B team those sorts of confidence boosters can really propel 
the team going into the weekend as well. Yeah, and I, I do want to spend a little time here talking about how much I, I have a lot of time a day for Wimbled- AFC Wimbledon. They're a really cool team. I don't know if you know much about the, their team. No. So I there Wimbledon had a team and then it moved to uh, Milton Keynes and they mm. became Milton Keynes Dons. And so this AFC Wimbledon were the fans who didn't, didn't live in Milton Keynes started their own team in the ninth division and have worked their way up to the third division. And uh, the team is still owned by 75% by the fans, which is really mm-hmm. cool. And I think that's actually the ownership model that you should go. They just built a brand new stadium. was supposed to open to the public uh, in 2020, which obviously didn't happen. But it, they did finally have their first home game in front of fans in their new stadium, which is on the side of their old stadium. So it's a, it's a really cool team. I have a lot of time a day for them. That being said, I hope we just win, wipe the floor with them. But yeah. It it needs to be a, to, a tooling game, and and hopefully they can get get that confidence boost that a, a six six zero. I mean six zero. I, I kind of already forgot that that happened this season because it's been so yeah. hard to come by goals in the Premier League. But um, you know, uh, Aubameyang was firing in that game, and and that's the sort of thing that you need sometimes to unlock things and get people feeling confident about taking some chances and taking some shots and. Like I said, even if it's the B squad, those sorts of things can permeate the team and help them feel uh, a little a little bit better going into a, a rivalry match. I mean, who do you start with this? Do you start like a full B team? Do you start a, a, a B plus team? Do you start most of the starters with the idea that they're going to get confidence? I think it's going to be a, a little bit of a mix and match. I think there will be players that... Um, like Ainsley Maitland Niles will probably get some minutes and you got, you've got guys like Tavares and um, you, you know, guys that are uh, our depth positions will probably get starts. And I, I, th- I think that's fine, but you can sprinkle in some, some other players to, to bring some stability. Maybe Odegaard gets uh, some, a start, but comes out early or something like that. Um, I, I can see this being a case where, Arteta does try to use this, use those five subs to his advantage and um, work in some minutes for some players that need it. I mean, I'd hope Lacazette starts just because I would like to get him, you know, at least some minutes, get on the board, get his confidence going. Because, I mean, as you said, we're he's not for the future, but I would love her, for him to have a productive year this year. Totally. And you know, squeeze the last drops. And I would love Tierney to get some rest because there's going to be very few opportunities for him to get some rest. And I think this is definitely a, a chance for him yeah. to get some rest. Yeah, totally. And and we've got a couple right backs that, <laughs> that are sitting on the bench too. So we've got, we've got player, we've got some depth that could use um, some starting time. And so we'll have to see what Arteta does with that. Um but as far as I can tell right now, I don't know where this this game is being televised. It's not happening in the U.S. That's for sure. So I don't know who's covering it. But um, I'm going to have to plumb the depths of the internet tomorrow to see if I can keep track of what's going on with this game, or maybe find a um, a mystery stream somewhere. <laughs> I will not. I'm going to say I never look at illegal streams because that would be horrible. No, you, they're looking at me. Yeah. I don't look at them. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> if you're never going to do an illegal stream, the, the the stream that you should never use is something called Hesgoal, H-E-S-Goal.com. 
in which every game in the world is actually on on a streaming with very minimal ads. So never use Heskel.com, H-E-S-Gol. Don't. Look, we cannot promote anything like that. But That'd be horrible and awful, and I never watched the Swedish League on that. I, <laughs> <laughs> other than that, I can't. I don't know of any actual streaming. I my app that I use generally tells me in all the international TV like what they're on, and it is just blank. Including like a lot of uh, league teams will use iFollow, which is very expensive, but you can actually buy passes to watch games and that's it's not even on that so i don't and it's weird it, do, it doesn't even seem like there's going to be anybody with cameras at this game that's the yeah. impression i'm getting i think that's the impression i'm getting as well because they, it's at arsenal which is the weird thing too right so yeah don't they just have cameras laying around <laughs> Could they just flip flip them on and leave them? Yeah. i don't care if they hold still like just i would see i'd take i'd take just the middle of the field <laughs> <laughs> i remember there was an open cup uh game that the sounders were in against san jose away and for whatever reason, there weren't cameras. I think the cameras actually went down because they play at a, used to play at a junior high school uh, stadium, San Jose. And but there were people in the stands that were Sounders fans that were just showing the like recording the game on their cell phone and putting it on Twitter or whatever, so you could watch the game via cell phone footage. And I, I'm thinking that's what we're going to have to do. Somebody needs to come through with that. Post it on one of the uh, subreddits for Arsenal, and uh, I that that might be as good as it gets. It's going to be some random Twitch stream we have to find of a, a guy that's got got tickets. It's just so funny though, because it does remind me of back in the day when I used to follow Arsenal. Because there was a time when I didn't expect every single Arsenal game to be covered. In fact, you know, there would be. I'd be happy to catch two games a year on TV because they just weren't televised in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So it does remind me of that olden days of uh, not having everything covered. That's why it's so bizarre because uh, it, like, one way or another, there's usually a stream somewhere. Like, if it's not the U.S., there's like a there's UK coverage or something. Arsenal will cover it themselves. There's, it's just weird to have nothing. in this day and age yeah i'm like i'm surprised it might be on arsenal tv because i actually didn't check the arsenal website Mm. Mm -hmm. because i mean the the cost of putting two cameras that are just like handheld on the field and just panning back and forth is nothing i i follow a third division finnish team that literally does that for every game and it costs them nothing to do so i can imagine arsenal doesn't have something like that yeah, we'll we'll have to see if something comes through tomorrow, but might just have to follow the uh, <laughs> the game stats and see see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that's a positive result and and is a, a little bit of a springboard for the weekend because that that would be a nice little confidence confidence boost. And I I think it is important to continue on in this tournament because we don't have a lot of thing other things going on. So. Continuing in the Carabao Cup, it should be something important to Arteta, I think. Yeah, I mean, like having other competitions besides the league is always nice. And it gives us, uh, you know, more chances to see some of these players like Belligan and Martinelli and some of these players that are on the fringe and hopefully are pushing for uh, first team minutes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think this is a good good spot for a break. And when we do come back, I've got a couple things to talk about, uh, including some question, more questions from you guys. So when we return, we'll get on those. So stick with us.
Okay, welcome back. Uh, something I want to run by you. Something I've been thinking about, and we haven't done it in a while. That is our usual kind of player ratings segment was start bench drop. And it it made me think that we might want to be a little more nuanced and maybe come up with our own scale of sorts. Now, I, I, I listened to another podcast where they came up with like a 10-point scale to rate all the things. <laughs> and... 10 seems like a lot. So I feel like a five, a five level scale would be appropriate, like but we the, need to come uh, up with like the with those num- on a uh, Thai food type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, how, how hot do you want your shits? Yeah. That sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So something like that, but w- what I want to do is assign some meaning to these tiers like we need a five to be like a bird camper, a, a Henri level performance, and one being like a William or you know something like that. And we could attribute it to um, like an event or a player or you know like an FA Cup win or a Champions League birth or you know yeah. like we'll have to figure. We need to figure this out. So I'm I'm throwing it out to you and to our listeners to kind of help shape what our our player rating scale looks like and how we assign value to these numbers. Yeah, so each number has to have like a, a value to it. So, you know, as you said, like one being uh, you know, the feeling after losing the Champions League final or like uh you know, like the lowest points in your your Arsenal history five being your highest points and what, like what's in between like a three being or four, four being, uh, I don't know, uh, Arshavin scoring three goals against Tottenham. I believe it was, uh, God, that was a while ago. Sorry. Sorry if I got the team wrong. And, uh, <laughs> just, yeah, I like that idea of like each number having like a, uh, a, a value to it. Yeah. So I, I want to think on it for a week. And when we come back next week, uh, hopefully we'll have some input from our listeners. We'll have some more time to think about it, and uh, we can we can hopefully assign some good scores to the team after the Tottenham game. Yeah, I mean, I'll come back. We'll call it our homework. I'll come back with my rating system. You come back with your rating system one to five, and hopefully we'll have uh, some of you wonderful listeners out there coming back with your rating system. Yes. I wanted to mention it early because I know not all of you make it to the end. So hopefully some of you have made it this far <laughs> and we'll, we'll write in with some ideas. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to our first question this week uh, from Charles Allison. Uh, where's the balance between being pleased that we've not let any goals in the past two games and concern that we've only scored two goals? Uh Burnley and Norwich have scored five goals between them in 10 games and conceded 23. So while I'm pleased that we got the wins, I'm not sure how much to read into them and the score lines. I mean, I think we've brushed this a little bit earlier on in the podcast. And I think it's kind of two separate questions in a certain way, which is how pleased can we be about the last two games not letting any goals in? which I think we can be very pleased about that. I think it shows a development in the team that we are defensively solid 
the second part of it of how frightened slash upset slash worried should we be about uh, only scoring two goals against uh, these two teams that we nominally should be scoring more. And I'm going to say concerned, maybe have a wrinkly brow, but not like throw... <laughs> like go into complete fits of uh, of uh, rage or fear. I think one of the things to to keep in mind is Burnley has a good defense. That's what's kept them in the Premier League. Uh, you you look at their previous games; they held Leeds to one goal. Which if you if you follow Leeds, while they may not be the best team in the league, they can definitely score goals. And to hold them to one goal is you know pretty showing on their defense. So. I think there will be other teams in which we can score more goals. I am more concerned, as I said before, I'm more concerned about the points than I am about the goal differential at this point. And so, yeah, I'm concerned, but not overly. How about you? Um, I think I, I I'm, the jury is still out whether we should be super worried about it. Um, I think we... We've shown we've shown some things that that get me excited about what the the team could be, but I, I think more time is warranted to um, let these let these players develop a little bit more. I, and I know I said that we, these the the group of players that we have in the front um, have played together and have had time to build some chemistry, but I think there's still some things to gain from the way that we're playing in the back and having party, um, getting some more consistent time in the midfield and, uh, having a full season with Odegaard there, we should see improvement and I'm, I'm willing to let that happen naturally and not be, um, going too crazy about the, the score lines. I, I, I think that the, the wins by goodwill and bias time, like we were talking about. So, uh, if we start losing those sorts of games and we can't find ways to score, that's going to be a problem. If, if we go up against, uh, Tottenham this weekend and can't find ways to score, that's going to be a huge problem. So I I do think that the results matter and winning helps, but losing is going to make everybody a little sour on, on, the lack of production that's for sure yeah but i mean i I think also in soccer more than almost any other sports i think the lack of scoring is less important than making sure the other team doesn't score that you could uh probably stay in the league if another team doesn't score on you ever whereas uh if you never score or sorry, vice versa. That if you you never score, you might be able to stay in the league as long as the other team doesn't score on you. But if you're just leaking goals, it doesn't matter how many goals you score. You know. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather have a tight defense and try and figure out how to score goals than vice versa. Yeah, definitely. I and it's nice that one at least one side of that is sorted. Like it feels like the the defense feels like building on a, a solid defense last year. I mean, like they were in the top five defenses in the league so i think that carrying that sort of forward um is important like it doesn't feel like there was any regression even though at least not yet it it, it, 
hopefully they're able to build on what what this team was last year and and even with a few new new faces in that back line develop that further and and let that that be something that the whole team can build on i i think that the like you said the goal goal scoring doesn't have to be the be all end all as long as you're keeping things close it you can you can win by one goal and it, it that doesn't matter at the end of the day yeah i mean there there really are kind of two philosophies one is score more than the other team and the other is don't let the other team ever score mm-hmm. and you know as arsenal fans we've been so used to the score more than the other team side of things mm-hmm. for the last you know i mean since the Vanga area because but before that we were definitely the the one nil to the arsenal and in, in some ways we're kind of going back to the 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 arsenal way or at least the very old arsenal way mm-hmm. yeah it's not exciting but it gets the job done and that's what matters yeah i mean that could be a whole other conversation for another podcast about whether that's uh-huh. preferable and what you want to do but at the end of the day for me as long as we're getting the points i don't i'm not too bothered right all right you want to take this next one uh yeah i can take the next one uh it's uh from uh tim uh tim witten which is a friend of the pod and he's just asked can we be more hopeful now i think it's it's hope 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 is (laughs) i don't know I go back and forth on this. I mean, we talked about the the default state of a, an Arsenal fan is is hopeless and self deprecating, and uh, hope hope is hard to come by usually. But I I like this project. I'm I am hopeful for this project as a whole. As, as far as how the season goes, I'm still not sure yet. I think we need to see some. A, a, a longer run of games. We need to see how they fare against some tougher competition now. As now that things have gotten a little more settled in the lineup, I'm curious to see how things go against Tottenham and um, some of the other bigger teams as we move forward. Um, but I, I, I like the players. I can get behind the players way more than some of the ones we've had in recent seasons. I'm really excited about the youth and. I'm hopeful that it'll come together in the next season or two, but uh, that might be hedging just to keep myself from going too crazy in the meantime. <laughs> well, it, it's funny. It's a, one of my favorite little facts. I'm sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before, which is that uh, the last thing to be released from Pond- Pandora's box after all the rest of the evils were released on the world, like, you know, like depression, hate, anger, the last thing to be released from her box was a uh, uh, hope. <laughs> that shows you a very Greek mentality. But there's also there's an episode of Ted Lasso to bring it back to the uh, the start where he talks about the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you, and yeah. how that's a, a a sad way to live your life with that idea. And so I I am hopeful. I I I do think it's okay to be hopeful. I think it's okay to be excited. I think sometimes we can get so mired in the facts of where we want Arsenal to be and where we want the team to be that we can't enjoy these little victories like the Burnley game. It's a one, it was a one nil boring game against a team that we should beat and we win. 
And I think a lot of people are, are they're just very willing to just, all right, on to the next without enjoying the fact that we won against a team and we can be happy. So yeah, let's be hopeful. Yeah. It's, it's okay to hope. It just, you have to know what you're getting into. <laughs> yeah. there, there's a dark, there's a dark side that you just have to embrace when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously with the, the Tottenham game coming in and having the hopes coming into that, that's definitely a, a, a game that could really just squash you if you get too high hopes. Yeah. I, I think I can feel hopeful, but not confident yet. Yeah. I get it. I'll I'll see how I feel after tomorrow's game because I like I said I can make a fan I can make the team feel good it can also make the fans feel really good if they have a, a solid outing so um we'll see, we'll see maybe I'll feel a little more confident if they can score some, figure out a way to score some goals yeah and you should as people we should take the uh, the joy where we can because there's just way too much in this world that <laughs> that uh, can make you not feel hopeful that uh, get the hope for, for where you can yes. Okay, our our last question this week is is a special one because Tim has been hounding this person <laughs> uh, to 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 write in, and they finally did. And this one comes from uh, Jordan, who writes in one of our one of our very few emails we ever get. So this is this is special in so many ways. Uh, he writes in and says, uh, "Bartenders often lend an ear to to drunken patrons." Uh, Mine fortunately shares my weekly ups and downs as an Arsenal supporter. Every week this season, I've walked into my local brewery and, and over a pint or five, I talked to him about all things Arsenal. I've showed up gutted and, and downtrodden and strolled out of there with positive perspective on more than one occasion. So thanks for that, Tim. My question for you, for you two to discuss this week, is Pepe just a flashy Theo Wolcott? Undoubtedly, Pepe is a higher ceiling. It's not even close. Having said that, though, his attacking style is, much like Wolcott's, very one-dimensional. Streak down the wing, cut, and curl one in the far post. I'd like to see him link up with our midfield more. With the addition of our new talent in the center of the pitch, will his game finally be able to evolve? Trust me, I know this is a hot take and one I very much hope I'm wrong about. Cheers from your menace regular. Jay. Ah, thank you, Jordan, for writing in finally. We talk all the time. And I would like to take this point to just throw in a quick plug, which is every Sunday I play a lot of soccer. Usually Jordan and I will throw on the Arsenal game when he comes in. So if you want to come in and watch Arsenal and dissect it, please come on by and I'm glad to do it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting take. I I hadn't thought of it before the he mentioned it in that email and now it kind of gets me a little worried about Pepe. I, I, I do agree with him. The ceiling is a, a lot higher on Pepe, but I, I, the, the parallels are is, is that they have the same expectations. I remember when we, uh, assigned, uh, uh, Theo Walcott and there was a lot of expectations cause he was a very expensive signing when we got him, and all that, and even when he played well, it just never felt like he played up to the 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 price that we play, paid for him. And I feel like there's going to be a little bit of that with Pepe always with the uh, the price tag that we got him for. Hmm. Yeah i i i i like this idea that the 
the talent around him will bring out some new aspects in his game. Um, I was thinking about this uh, with Tomiyasu playing as right back. It, it is different from when we had Bellerin, who was able to get forward and combine with Pepe a little bit here and there. But I never felt like those two had this amazing chemistry and were brought out the best in each other. And I still feel like Pepe has a hard time playing well with others and, and wants to do a lot on his own. But when you have a player like Odegaard who likes to drift out to the right-hand side, I do hope that those two can find a way to better combine because I think that is the best chance that we have of, of having some balance um, to not always be going down the left-hand side and being very predictable. Um, and and if you can, with Tomiyasu staying back a little bit more, I mean, we've seen him get get forward, but I don't expect him to do that a lot. I'm not expecting him to be uh, a presence on the offense very often. But if Odegaard is able to pull more over to the right and you have an Emile Smith-Rowe who can kind of drift into more centrally because of that, um, that asymmetry that, that can occur. Hopefully those, those three can combine on that right-hand side and create a passing tri- triangle that can produce a bit more than what Pepe can do on his own. I think that's an, a, a, an important development to his game is figuring out how to integrate better with the players around him and not just try to take on entire defenses on his own. And it's, you know, like the more I kind of chew over this question in my, uh, my head, the more I wonder about Pepe being, though, that player that, you know, you call him a, a luxury player, a player mm. that isn't necessarily consistent, that on their best days, they're world beaters. They're some of the best players you'll ever see. But then there's just long times where they just do nothing for the team. Do you think Pepe is that sort of player? Because, I mean, that's kind of what we've seen with from him up to now is that when he's on his best game, he's amazing and can score goals and do things, but there's long swaths of time where he's not doing much or being kind of a dead end. Yeah, I think he, he could be uh, a little bit more consistent, of course, but I, I think he, it is something that Arteta has come to accept about him. I think he's definitely stepped up his game and, and come a little bit closer to what Arteta wants from him as far as um, putting in a full shift and not getting down and tracking back and doing all the things that, that Arteta expects. And I think in doing that, Arteta has conceded that sometimes he's going to get really good games out of him and sometimes not even games. He's going to get good moments because we've seen him kind of bounce around on it throughout a game and um, fade in and out. And I think that he could tend to be, he could stand to learn to be a little bit more consistent, but that might not be the type of player that he is. And sometimes you just need that sort of wild card in the team that can disrupt things and just make things happen out of nowhere because, um, it, given the right time and space, he can be deadly. And he he's always trying that curled ball. I mean, that's it's kind of his, his his calling card at this point is cutting in and, and trying to curl curl something into the top. And he gets close. And it's, 
I think like for the amount of times that he tries that shot, it's going to go in once in a while. So I, we've seen it happen. He does have a nice shot. And when it, ha- when it comes together for him, it, it's, it's beautiful thing. But um, I think I just want him to be involved in the team and not play as much as an individual. And I hope that that is something that kind of comes together as this team, this group develops um, some, some more, uh, chemistry with Odegaard and whoever's playing around him. I hope that that uh, that is an aspect that improves in in his game time. Because like uh, my my worry is just that uh, he becomes a player that at his top is you know is amazing, but we can't afford to have a player that is amazing every third game, every fourth game. And I'd rather have a player that's consistent and like, you know, like instead of swinging between nine, uh, to use our rating system, swinging between a five and a two, I'd rather have a player that plays at three all the time at mm. this point, because that's kind of what Arsenal needs. And I have a feeling that Pepe is that player that's going to swing between a five and a two. And that's kind of where Walcott was in a lot of ways, is that he was a very swingy player when Walcott was on, he was amazing. And when he was off, he was off. And that, I guess that's my worry. And I think that's where Jordan's question comes from. And I I can totally agree with that. Yeah. I, I think that he, he's undervalued because I, I, I do think he has played his way into being, a starter. Like I, I, I did, there were many times last season and, and previous to that where I wasn't sure whether he deserved to be starting. And, and now I feel like it's a mistake to leave him out of games. If you can fit him in there. Like I, I appreciate what he could do off the bench, but given our scoring options, I feel like he's one of our bigger threats at this point in the season. So I, it, it may be that he is, um, has those moments where he lets lets the team down and may, has some questionable decisions, but he's also he's producing shots, he's producing key passes, he's um, getting a lot of touches down that right hand side, and I think he he's a necessary piece to bring balance to the team, so it's not all going down the left. And I, I whether I like how he does it or not, that that threat opens things up in other areas of the field. Yeah, and I think uh, the interesting thing is I would love to see this lineup that we played last week trotted out a little bit more, at least that midfield band a little bit more. Mm. I was really intrigued with the Saka, Smithrow, Pepe kind of band there with Odegaard uh-huh. and Pardy behind them. Because uh, I, when we were talking about probable starting lineups in the, you know, just after the window had closed, I don't think we even really entertained that idea. Yeah. And I think that that could be very interesting. I want to see that develop more and see where Pepe lands after he has had a couple games of that. Cause I think the service that Odegaard could provide to Pepe could be just unlocking and amazing. I'm going to throw a question to you and it's kind of lineup related here, yeah. but where do you, where do you think Xhaka fits in when he comes back this weekend? 
<laughs> it's it's one of the things that Jordan and I have actually talked about before, which is at this point, I'm kind of done with Jaka. Uh-huh. I don't think he fits in. I think Jaka is a depth bench player at this point. I like I think I'm happier when I see a lineup when he's not starting. I don't know about you. And and this is and I'm not trying to be harsh. Like I, I think we as people can be harsh against players, and I don't want to be too harsh against Jaka, but it I just think he's a depth piece at this point. I think he's a player that when you want to shut down the game, perhaps you put him in. Mm. He's a player maybe if you want to have a, a more defensive-looking destroyer in the midfield, you want a little bit more steel. Because I think he does add a little bit more steel than Odegaard does. Let's kind of be honest. There's mm-hmm. you know the red card that comes from that. but uh, <laughs> and <laughs> The potential for it. Potential for it. But uh, as far as my ideal lineup, I'm, I mean, to be honest, I don't, put him on the bench really like he in my depth chart for midfield he is for that like kind of central holding central midfield i guess not even holding i i put him like third fourth yeah in my depth because I, I we we also have el many mm-hmm. who can also do a lot of the a lot of the same things passing wise and defensively and um with fewer red cards and middle fingers. Yeah, I just feel like he's less of a risk. So, I don't know. I I, I saw an interesting rumor come out today that it was um, floating around from the Juventus side of things, saying that uh, they may be interested in picking him up because uh, he would fill a role that would allow... Um, oh, gosh, why am I forgetting his name? Oh, Locatelli, mm. to play further up the field for them because he's having to play a position similar to what Shaka plays. So he if they they're looking for somebody to fill that role to allow Locatelli to to move up and in return they would give us Weston McKinney. <laughs> and I was like, "Huh. Well, I he fits the age profile, but he could be more trouble than he's worth." So <laughs> Well, I I will caveat I'll start with swap deals never happen. They always sound no. good, but like uh that's no. just not how I Europe, like the idea. That's not how European transfers generally work. Every once in a while, there's a swap deal, but for the most part, that doesn't happen. Uh, as far as getting rid of him, I think the thing about Jaka, not to get too far off the, the original topic, but the thing about Jaka is, I think he can fill a role for a team somewhere. I don't think he, I don't think he's garbage. I just don't think he fits with this Arsenal team. So, like, if we can get rid of him for a decent fee, and he can play for a team that he fits better with i'm all for it but yeah i mean you mentioned it like i think el neni is above it Lakonga is 100 percent above him in my mind uh i think odegaard mm-hmm. in his positions about above him party's obviously above him like i don't see him getting a ton of games i mean african cup of nations when does the uh the transfer window open again uh it's early January. Early January, sure which, and I'm trying to remember when the African Cup of Nations, because when that happens, we are going to be losing several players, and I think that's where we would need a Jaka, because mm. I think we'll lose what so El Neni, uh, Party, for sure, Obamiang, Obamiang. Who am I forgetting? I thought there was like four. Yeah, so like I think I could see Jaka getting some minutes then and. Hmm. him playing an important role in January. 
but luckily we're not in the champions league. So <laughs> some of those other games won't matter, but yeah, I don't know. While we're, while we're on the off topic, uh, <laughs> where do you think, where do you think Leno fits in now with the, the big derby match this weekend? Do you think Leno's, uh, going to be able to push Ramsdale out of the way for that big game, or is he going to st- stay on the bench? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious right now that Ramsdale's our number one keeper. I think mm. this this spot is now Ramsdale's to lose. If Ramsdale has two or three horrible games in a row, Leno could probably push his way in. I think right now we have a goalkeeper duel in which Leno is the clear backup at this point. I think mm, yeah. Leno stays through the second transfer window because we don't have anything behind him, but I think Leno is going to definitely not be there next season. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, sorry. I got to think that this weekend is an indicator of where Arteta stands on things. and But I, I, I understand why you'd want to try to keep Leno happy, but at the same time, what's best for the team might not be Leno. So I, I yeah. maybe keeping him happy isn't worthwhile if you're sacrificing the team's spirit and cohesion overall. I would be absolutely shocked if Leno started against Tottenham. Uh, it just because I, I think this, like when you had one, one time when Ramsdale started, all right, cool. It was just Ramsdale, you know, starting and, you know, and it was the first game he started was the cup game. So like that made sense. But then the, you know what you might actually see now that I think about it is uh, Leno starting against Wimbledon. Hmm. Yeah, maybe tomorrow is a better indicator of what's going to happen on the weekend. Yeah, because I, I could see him making Leno our cup keeper and Ramsdale our league keeper. Could be. Well, that would be interesting if we go out of the cup then. <laughs> <laughs> guess that would limit things for, for Leno and, and really put the writing on the wall. But, you know, it's still up to Ramsdale to continue to play his best game to keep that spot. So, I mean, like, it puts pressure on him too. Just like as a, you know, like, I'm not the the smartest person in the world i've never done that but like as a manager you 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 look at it and it's like what has ramsdale done that you would not start him against tottenham Mm -hmm. what evidence do you have that would be like i shouldn't start him and i should start leno right well there's uh some question marks going into tomorrow's game uh in the lineup there and then for the weekend. So I'm anxious to see what Arteta is going to do to rotate players and, and what the, I, I think all things, everybody being available. Uh, I'd be interesting to see what his premier 11 looks like, because you're, you're going up against some stiff talent. Uh, you know, like I can say maybe they're equal to us, but there are no, there are no pushovers. I think you're going to have to put out your best team to, to beat Tottenham. And, uh, I'm curious what Arteta thinks that is. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a very interesting game, and it's going to be very telling for what the state is. I I have a very strong feeling that we're going to see a very similar lineup to what we saw last weekend against Tottenham. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty much with you. I think you try to squeeze in as much talent as you can, and that that lineup found a way to do that. Yeah. I think the position you could see is like Odegaard going to Smith Rowe's position and putting in. I could see him maybe putting in Shaka because he's worried about that, which I I would disagree with, but I could see the logic behind it. 
Yeah, agreed. I, I would not be shocked to see Xhaka in the starting lineup, but we have established how we feel yeah. about that now. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's a great place to stop. We we've, we've talked quite a bit this week, and we were going to have plenty more to say after the next couple games. So, for now, let's put a pin in things and uh, thank you all for being here and sticking with us through this big episode. If you have not reviewed or subscribed to our podcast, go ahead and do so wherever you pick those up. Uh, If you are feeling like sending in one of our amazing questions like we got this week, uh, there's a few ways you can do that. One of them would be Twitter, which is easy to find us. We are at W of N London. And if you'd like to just email us like Jordan did, westofnorthlondon at gmail.com is the address for that. If you'd like to do a voicemail, there's a way to do that by going to anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message, and we can add your call into our next episode. So we'd love to hear from you no matter which way you get in touch with us and send in your questions, comments, And don't forget to send in your uh, player rating scale ideas for our next episode. And we'd love to hear your ideas on that as well. If you like our theme song, it is from Bobcat. They are B-O-B-C dot A-T. I should say that is their website. Uh, Instead of Bobcat.com, don't go there. Go to B-O-B-C dot A-T find all their latest info including their album no course to follow can all be found there i think that is it until we return next week so as always see you at the next gun show